Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We are halfway through the football season, and basketball is back into full swing. And BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus today. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, everybody, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of Wired Up This is Wired Up episode 94, and for the second consecutive week, it is a Stripe Hype special here on Wired Up. Wired Up originally was, of course, week in review plus extra discussion here on the Take It Easy podcast and has now evolved into just another version of our podcast with fun guests and fun conversations and fun topics, sometimes fun stories as well. And it's an extra version of the podcast that we like to drop because going 48 hours outside of the news cycle, especially when you have college football Saturdays, can be a little bit intense. So with that, we have a conversation about college football Saturday and Robert Woods and the Miami Dolphins, all of that coming up with our buddy Stripe Hype. But first, we begin with a music review because people may or may not know here that I am a little bit of a musical connoisseur. Now, first and foremost, I am a sports nerd through and through, and I'm a podcast nerd. I'm a comedy nerd. I go through all kinds of weird stuff like this, and uh, where my interests fall apart a little bit is with uh, movies and TV shows. That is where uh, my information gap falls apart a bit. I also study a bunch of different weird topics. I love psychoanalysis. I love numbers crunching. I love writing. I love reading books. We're up working our way through the Belichick book, 19 hours on an audiobook. We're about 73% of the way through, and it is fascinating as all hell. Y'all should absolutely check that out. I love all these weird things, and one of the things we don't talk about as much is music, but love me some music. I uh, think of myself as a little bit of a musical connoisseur, not as far as most people would go with it. There are people who are really into music and can talk about music history and different notes and genres and things like that. I can dabble in it a little bit, but I don't profess myself to be a musical historian, just a connoisseur, which uh, just sounds fancy. But I want to talk about the new Silk Sonic album because it is lovely. So lovely. I know people have been talking about this on the internet quite a bit, and we've done this a few times. We talked about the Drake album because Drake is, of course, our generation's most defining artist, and uh, that was obviously fun to talk about. We talked about the Migos album because I don't usually 
think of albums in dropping in the same way of like, wow, I can't wait for this to drop. But the Migos Culture 3 was something I'd been waiting for since I was a junior in high school. So we talked about that a bit. We talked about how fire the Space Jam soundtrack is back in the doldrums of the summer. All of that to say, I want to talk about the Silk Sonic album with Bruno Mars and Anderson Pac because, whew, it is lovely, lovely listening. I've and the best part too, I like it. It's short, it's concise because I'm not someone who usually adds every song from an album. I don't add whole albums to a playlist and go through it, but this one, all eight songs, excellent, truly excellent. So I'm just going to go through each of the eight here. Most people already know Leave the Door Open, which is the song that came out last May and was number one for a short period of time in America. It was hanging around, you know, four and five for the most part for like six or eight weeks. But at one point it hit number one on the charts. Uh, And then they dropped Skate, I think, in August, if I remember correctly. They dropped Skate, the one that goes, Skate to me, baby. Skate. Better slide your way on over, slide your way on over. That song, I think it peaked at 15 in America on the charts, but we already knew that song was going to be in there. And then last week they dropped Smoking Out the Window, which was a really, really good song. It had the viral meme that we posted on Comical Sports Memes of Anderson Pock lying on the floor looking dead. Um, while people sing around him and saying that that was Ben Roethlisberger, which has now been even funnier considering that Ben Roethlisberger is now in the COVID protocol and the Steelers odds have probably improved to beat the Detroit Lions this week. So yeah, the Anderson Pock video, uh, that got 20 million views in like five days on YouTube. And that, ended up being like a song that I think topped out at number six last time I saw. I know Taylor Swift's album drop kind of messed with the numbers this weekend, but I think Smoking Out the Window peaked at number six. So that's already, what, three top 15 songs before we even get into the rest of the album, which to be fair, because it's an album drop, the numbers aren't necessarily going to reflect it perfectly because the rest of the songs, it's going to be hard for them to jump up because they're going to cannibalize each other's numbers a bit as people don't have that one song that they can listen to over and over again. It's why in the last five years, a lot of artists have dropped like smaller albums and like dropped albums very slowly, like having maybe two songs at one time or three songs at one time. uh, And then eventually dropping the whole album. I know that happened semi recently with Drake. I know that's, we talked about him earlier as well, but he dropped the uh, three songs from scary hours and then, uh, released the full album of Certified Lover Boy in September, and that was all new songs in there, except with, I think, one exception. But all of that, kind of the same idea, where he dropped two songs after the Raptors championship and three songs in, I think it was June of last year, with Wants and Needs and Lemon Pepper Freestyle and What's Next were on it. Scary Hours, I think, is what it was called. I might be wrong about that. But all of that to say, people have done that periodically. So they dropped... I mean, I was listening to actually... I was listening to Bruno Mars talk on The Breakfast Club. And he had said, like, they wanted... They, because they had put in all this work together with him and Anderson Pock, who are great friends... Like they wanted to have their work be recognized in slower increments because of how much they'd put in. And this is Bruno Mars's first album in five years. And that's kind of a big deal considering how big Bruno Mars was between 2012, 2011 and 2015. Like Bruno Mars was one of the 
eight or nine most famous artists in the world. You could even argue like one of the five most famous artists in the world for a five-year stretch at the same time as like Katy Perry and well, obviously Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran beginning to blow up and Justin Bieber. Like Bruno Mars was right in that group. And the fact that he didn't put out an album for five years and occasionally would like jump on a track with Cardi B but we didn't really get very much Bruno Mars in that time means that there was an appetite for it the same way the Adele album that's about to drop is going to have a bunch of appetite for it but all that to say so we got five new songs other than the ones that we had before and the song that I just can't keep I can't stop listening to is put on a smile and that song Bruno Mars did not have to bless us so hard with the end of the song because the last two minutes is like Bruno Mars calling an ISO play and just going to work and that man's voice is magical when he hits high notes and you you get the line where he's like at the, the end of the chorus he's like the only thing worth smiling for is and then you hear the pause and you know he's really winding up to hit the you and it's so good. I know mine can't do it justice, but man, it is so good on Bruno Mars's part. And oh, it's like two minutes. It hits you one after the other where I'm saying like, wow, that is really good. And I know Leave the Door Open was number one. And that was a song I was listening to like one after the other when it first came out. But man, Put On A Smile is my favorite song from the album. And I don't think it's even going to crack the top 10 or top 50 I know I'm seeing it right now. It's got 1.6 million plays on Spotify after one day, which is not even as much as Fly As Me, which we'll get to in a sec, and 777, and uh, Blast Off. So technically it was the second second fewest plays on Spotify of the new songs that were dropped. So Put On A Smile is technically fourth out of five. It was my favorite of the entire album. It's slow it's emotional it's got bruno mars's voice going all the way and his iso ball is fantastic it's why bruno mars was so popular when he was and why people were still clamoring hard for this album bruno mars is so freaking good and his voice was magical input on a smile so that's a great song in there after last night the one with bootsy collins is really good um i thought that song was very calm and moved me along it was the last one that i actually heard on the album it's listed fourth on here but i thought that was great both fly as me and 777 are still going into the 70s vibe because this is the whole point of this album is that they're going for like a 1970s type of vibe with this and the music genre is really hard to get exactly correct but bruno mars's voice works that way and this was another part about cultural appropriation and whether bruno mars was appropriate because bruno mars is not black and bruno mars is appropriating a black type of music in this one and it's really interesting to hear the music and all the different ways that they've tapped into the 70s genre and fly as me and 777 both carry similar vibes where it's more upbeat it feels like something's happening fast as you're listening to it and 777 is about uh about gambling in the casino and you're going real quick and fly as me is something that's like you get it real quick and it's it's really cool and fast paced and feels like there's a lot happening and that's a different vibe from put on a smile or smoking out the window uh skate is similarly too where it's got like an up paced vibe a little bit even if it's not so much the same way 
where it's more of a romantic type of song and 777 and Fly As Me are more like adrenaline-y type of songs. I felt those two were very similar to each other, both really great, and they're just different vibes from the rest of the album, and I thought that was an excellent little piece to it. And then finally you have Blast Off, which is the last song on the album, and it's got a very calm, transcendent feel to it. And they're talking about going to outer space, Blast Off and Kiss the Moon Tonight, and... It's very transcendent as you're listening to it. It feels very calming. And this is a nice song I feel like to cap it off where put on a smile, you can feel the emotion in it and blast off. You just feel like a cool rush going over your body. Not necessarily goosebumps, but just like a calming presence washing over your body. And that's how I felt listening to blast off. It was like, just close your eyes and bob your head a bit feels fantastic and you don't even have to listen to the lyrics or sing along you can just play with this music behind it and I think that's something that attracts me in music a lot is the sound and the the instruments behind it as I mean obviously there's there's voice going over it but sometimes the beats and the music behind it I'm sorry the instruments behind it add a feel to me where you can just pay attention to those beats going on and the array of instruments in the background and Blast Off is one of those that just brings a calming effect over it. And it was a great cap-off for the album. If I were to pick an order that you would listen to it, here's the uh, Star Wars version order I would go for the eight songs in the album. So I would start with Leave the Door Open because it's the obviously the big one from the album. Uh, I would go Skate next. I would go... Ooh, I would go Smoking Out the Window. I think that's just order thing is important there. Then I would go Put on a Smile. Then I would go Fly as Me. Then I'd go 777. Then I'd go After Last Night. And then I'd finish with Blast Off. Or I would do Blast Off and then I would go again with Put On A Smile. Like Put On A Smile is a great vibe song that I've listened to like over and over on loop again. But that's one that I think you can listen to twice and mix it into the album for the vibes. I would say the important part, listen to those three in order that I had there. Flies Me 777 after last night. I would go in that order. It's like a a break in the action where the mood changes a bit as you're listening to the song so, or listening to the album. So yeah. That's 15 minutes on Silk Sonic by Bruno Mars and Anderson Pock because it was a really good album. And I, it's one of the first albums where I've added every single song to it. Drake, I got close. I think I was batting like 80% on that one. But this one, every single song goes into the, the playlist for me. So I, by the way, for people who don't know, I organize my songs into one gigantic playlist of over a thousand songs and 64 hours of music. And it's a weird combination of organization that only I understand. So it's a weird way to organize my music, but the playlist is very exclusive because once you go in the playlist, you can never be taken off the playlist. So all of those songs go in there. They are all wonderful. All right. With that, let's move into the sports world, I guess. I don't know. It's not a great transition into this, but let's roll along with our friend Stripe Hype Cincy, Blake Jude. Check him out with the links in the description to today's episode. It's a Stripe Hype Sunday on Wired Up. This is a full-length podcast, so enjoy, enjoy. 
I would like to say first and foremost, uh, congratulations to everyone who follows college football because we no longer have to care about Oklahoma or entertain the possibility that Oklahoma was good at football ever this year. Uh, they have finally lost, so we all get to finally not have to pay attention to Oklahoma anymore. And one part I really liked about that is the fact that I saw in an Instagram post Oklahoma fans were like, finally, thank God, we don't have to get crushed by Georgia now, which I thought was hilarious because I totally agree. They would much rather play an easier New Year's Six Bowl game than losing Georgia in the first round of the playoffs. So, well, no I one mean, wants yeah, to I, watch it. No one wants to watch Oklahoma yeah. get destroyed because we we knew that team wasn't good the whole season. They The joke we had made for six weeks is that Oklahoma is not allowed to beat anyone by more than 10 points. Because whether it's Tulane, who's now one and eight, or whether it's, I don't know, Iowa State or Kansas, they're not allowed to beat anyone by more than one score. And now they finally lost. So we don't have to pretend like Oklahoma is good anymore. Finally, weeding down a bit of the uh, the pretenders here in the crowd. And unfortunately, our, our Purdue uh, team's not able to pull off this upset against Ohio State. But, um, uh, a lot of other, te- you know, pretty solid teams went down. I think we're now finally starting to figure out. We're starting to separate between the top, you know, seven and eight teams, and then the rest of the field now. I feel like finally, and it's, it's been, it's we haven't really had that yet. You know, there's been a lot of teams that are tweeners in between right now, but I think we're finally starting to see a group of teams that are starting to actually contend. And then there's other guys that are obviously on the outside right now. Yeah, we thought this was going to be a chaos year coming in because we've had we had uh, I think more top twenty-five upsets in the first six weeks than ever in the poll era. But now we're starting to see clearly there are six good teams in college football. And even the six is hard to, you can articulate the sixth one, but you've got obviously Georgia, who I want to talk about here because I watched most of the Georgia Tennessee game this afternoon and Alabama. And well, we think Alabama's good. We think Alabama's good enough there. And then Oregon, who's probably going to go undefeated and make the playoff and be 14 point underdogs in their first game. And then Ohio State. And then Cincinnati and Michigan's holding on, but Michigan can technically still beat Ohio state and get into the playoff. But you're right. Like all those teams that we thought could sneak in, in a weird chaos here have all kind of evaporated at this point, whether it be Michigan state or uh, wake forest or now Oklahoma, or I guess Oklahoma state or Notre Dame, all of those teams are finally evaporating from the conversation. Yeah, Notre Dame and Michigan State, I think both still have like very, very long shot chances. But like you said, they need they need a lot of things to go right for them in order to be able to you know have a chance of even of even like you know getting to that point. So it's safe to say that you know those teams are are probably looking at a New Year's Six Bowl instead of a playoff bowl. It really, kind of feels like those top six teams, like you said, are are the true contenders at this point. Which is weird because Michigan just lost to Michigan State, but here we are regardless. Um, and Michigan State's <laughs> looking actually pretty good right now against Maryland, but. I, I definitely agree. I think we're finally starting to see the field kind of thin out a little bit. I'm glad to see that because I think these top six teams right now, at least to me, look like the most exciting and best teams currently in the sport at the very moment. Now, Cincinnati's had some moments where they struggled. Obviously, the last couple of weeks have not been the best for them. We've seen Ohio State play a couple of close games. Of course, they lost to Oregon. Oregon lost to Stanford of all teams. And, and you know, Michigan's been up and down. Of course, they lost a head-to-head Michigan State. Outside of that, they looked really good. But, you know, these are these are good teams, but these aren't invincible teams. You know, the, I would say outside of Georgia, I could see any of these teams beating each other up. I can see Alabama losing to an Oregon. I can see Alabama absolutely destroying a Michigan. You know, any I think between two through six, any of these teams can be of any order, and I wouldn't argue it because I think they're all very similarly skilled 
right now. However, I think it's pretty clear Georgia is obviously the top dog right now. Tennessee gave a pretty good game today. And like I said, we have to talk about it a little bit later. But Tennessee gave them one that- good quarter. Tennessee gave them one good quarter to start the game and then did exactly what we thought would happen. And I was watching and I was thinking, oh, maybe this is the week that Georgia's defense starts to fall apart because they allowed 159 yards in the first quarter to Tennessee. And I believe they allowed 90 the rest of the game. (laughs) So Tennessee gave them one quarter and then got outscored 41-7 the rest of the game. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty clear that Georgia is just obviously the top dog. There's not one team in college football right now that is blowing out teams to this degree as what Georgia is right now. And these are good teams, too. Kentucky, Tennessee, you know, Florida. These are are good football teams that are doing this, too. And, I mean, they are clearly the better team right now. Arkansas as well. Yeah, all these teams. I mean, these are borderline ranked teams and, and they are destroying them. It's not a contest anymore. So I think it's become pretty clear that these are the top dogs. And I, I find it hard to believe that they will lose any time in the playoffs this year. This feels like Georgia's going to end up running the table and going all the way. But I, like I said, I'm interested in seeing two through six, how these teams play out, what happens, who beats who. I, I would, I'm, I'm interested in seeing those games. Yeah, I do like that Ohio State and Michigan is going to matter this year because the stakes and storylines are kind of what matter in college football. And I'm just glad that that game is actually going to have stakes behind it because the storylines are always there, even when the teams are terrible, just because that rivalry gets people very excited, even on a national level, not even just like in Ohio and Michigan, which is obviously, you know, the big rivalry that people care about. But even nationally, people care about it kind of like the way they care about Yankees Red Sox. So I'm glad that that at least has stakes because both teams are still technically in it, even if Michigan would have to run the table and have other things happen potentially for them to get in. But it's still cool that that's going to matter in a few weeks or a couple weeks now. I think it's only two weeks away. It's debatable, but I think if Michigan beats Ohio State, they have a real chance of passing Cincinnati for that fourth spot. Now, it really depends, but I think – you know, obviously Cincinnati's looking to be undefeated at this point. And if they continue to look really good, maybe they do earn their chance in. But if Michigan ends up looking very good against Ohio State and gets the win, and all of a sudden you see them, you know, start to run the table a little bit and and, and look really good these other wins outside of Ohio State, maybe there is a chance they move ahead of Cincinnati because obviously you can tell the committee really does not like Cincinnati despite their you know current record right now. So there's certainly a possibility where the committee still is like, hey, Michigan had a better win. Their loss is a really close loss to another really good program, we can understand it. There's certainly a possibility that they could still make it if they run the table and go undefeated. But I will say, I have to see Michigan beat Ohio State convincingly. It cannot be a super close, tight game. I think it has to be convincingly for me to be able to put them over Cincinnati realistically. I wouldn't even put them – I think Cincinnati's the top four team right now. If it was my choice, they'd probably be ahead of Oregon at the very moment. But since – or they're not that case, in that case, Michigan's going to have to climb Cincinnati – uh, for them to be able to make the playoffs, of course. Stanford, let's see. Uh, Stanford's about to be three and seven after this week. They beat Oregon, mind you. They're about to be three and seven and lose to Oregon State. That um, it is absolutely excellent. That we're just going to ignore that on the Oregon side. We're just going to ignore that Stanford beat them because like, yeah, it's the Pac-12. It's going to happen. So be it. Up, you're on mute, so I'll keep filling that. My fault. Real quick. No, 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 my fault. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I sometimes I forget to talk. Uh, yeah, uh, I Pac-12 football is just Pac-12 football, right? I mean, it's just it's gonna it's gonna have that one team. The Washington State a couple of years ago. Remember how good they were for a while? Who they lose? They lost to a really bad team in the Pac-12. I remember. Um, I got the, the Minshew exactly who it was. But I do, the, the year they were ranked in the top ten. With I want to say so. 
Okay, I remember they they had one right. weird loss they, and then they, they got the table. Huh? What happened that year? I I remember I remember Washington State. They had Sorry, one I, weird I was loss. What? Sorry, I, I, I was saying, I know that Minshew lost to a pretty bad team uh, that I was pretty shocked about. And I was like, that's just a Pac-12 for you. Now I'm just absolutely used to it. I'm, yeah. I'm, it doesn't surprise me one bit. There's going to be that one team that's going to lose to a great team. So I remember that year they had one loss during the season, but I can't remember what it was now. And then they were going to go to the Rose Bowl and then they lost to Washington. It was like a really snow-packed game in the Apple Cup. And, Maybe and it was. Yeah, they had one loss early in the season, but then they got kind of like pummeled by Washington and then played in like the Alamo Bowl or something. But they were top 10 for the whole season. And then everyone, you know, fell in love with Minshew and Mike Leach. By the way, shout out to Mike Leach. They scored, I think, 43 unanswered points against Auburn in a row today. Um, And they're going to be bowl eligible this year, which is just kind of weird that you know, both of the Mississippi schools are good again, but shout out to shout out to Mike Leach for that win. But yeah, the Pac-12, we're just going to ignore the one weird loss every time it happens for them. Because it literally happens all the time. It could be a dominant, absolutely dominant Pac-12 team, and they are going to find a way to absolutely screw up and lose one game. That's just, we, we just were growing accustomed to that, and that's what's going to happen. It happened for Washington State. It happened to Oregon now. It's going to happen and continue to happen for the rest of of eternity as we know it, because that's just how it is. But uh, as for Mississippi State and uh, and what happened there, Will Rogers, their quarterback, I mean, he is insanely legit. I, last time I checked it, I believe he was 43 for 83 for over 400 yards and five touchdowns or something like that in the game. I mean, they, he is – Mike Leach has really taken this air raid offense that he perfected from Washington State and has brought it to Mississippi State, and it is starting to work to perfection now. I mean, it looks really, really good for Mississippi State, and like you said – he has turned this program into a pretty, you know, a pretty bad program that was down for a while. Ole Miss and Mississippi State were both pretty bad the last couple of years, at least. And he's almost flipped it around completely. You're now looking at Mississippi State being a constant contender to the top 25 now yet again. And that's what they needed whenever they, they signed Mike Lynch to this contract that they had to be their head coach again. And I think it's working out perfectly for them. I am really, really excited to see who Mike Leach can land in recruiting and how he can develop these wide receivers and quarterbacks because I feel like that's definitely going to be uh, there's going to be a lot of good picks there in the draft that people are going to look at and see a lot of production from these receivers and quarterbacks are going to have a lot of passes or a lot of catches under their belt and it's going to really really help their stock out in the NFL draft and you know me being a, a scout guy I just love that I love getting a lot of chances to look at different players and seeing all how they play and everything like that and it's going to be really fun to see some of those guys under the Mike Leach system do well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to them playing in the like Meineke Car Care Bowl against the University of Texas <laughs> this year. It's going to be very fun for Mississippi State. Um, but yeah, that they're like the fourth team in the SEC now, which is an improvement for them. I do want to talk about Georgia because I did watch most of this game, and so I have many thoughts on Georgia that I would like to share. Um, Stenson Bennett feels like the the perfect person for this podcast because. And we haven't talked about it enough for this because Stenson Bennett is he's been given the keys to the best college football team of the last five years. The best defense we've seen since like 2012 Notre Dame or 2016 Alabama, like just ridiculously good defense. And Stenson Bennett is five foot 11, 190 pounds. And it it's jarring how out of place he looks on a football field the same way like we make jokes about Rodrigo Blankenship standing next to DK Metcalf 
it's like palpable how weird it is that Stenson Bennett is playing football and quarterbacking that Georgia team. And he's also one of these people who feels like they're like 35 years old and he's been the backup at Georgia for like 15 years now. But we were introduced to him, I think, in the SEC championship two years ago. And now he's still kind of hanging around. And because of all the injuries, he's doing just enough to get Georgia by. And he like at times looks like a five foot 11, 190 pound quarterback. And other yeah. times he looks like he's a starting quarterback with a ton of talent around him. And he makes big plays like the huge touchdown that kind of put the game out of reach against Tennessee to make it. I think it was 24 10 at that point. Uh, sometimes he looks legit and sometimes he totally looks out of place. <laughs> We never see this from a top-tier college football team, but almost every single number one team has an elite quarterback to help lead them to that. Georgia is so good this year. They don't need that. They, don't, they just need a guy that's going to go out there and not turn the ball over. And you know what? For a 5'11", 190-pound uh, guy, he didn't turn the ball over that bad. He makes good decisions. He doesn't screw up. Normally, he does his job, and that's to hand the ball off to whatever running back you have behind you. It works for Georgia, and their defense is so elite. They've allowed 53 points, I believe, this year, which is like at least 100 less than anyone else in in, in college football right now. In the SEC, they don't need that because Georgia's only going to get up 10 points. Georgia's defense alone is going to outscore most of their opponents, which is insane to think about, but it's still absolutely true because they are completely elite. Their starting defensive tackle, Jordan Davis, might seriously be a top Heisman contender. I don't remember. I don't remember the last time a defensive player has ever been a top Heisman contender. Right now, I think it was Manti Te'o. I think it was that. Oh, uh, Manti Te'o and uh, what was the guy from Michigan, Jabril Peppers. Those were the last yep. two, I think. He might see a D tackle might seriously be in the top four considerations for a Heisman contender. That is how elite Georgia's defense has been. Stetson Bennett literally can only throw the ball fifteen times a game, and they will blow out a team by sixty. That is how insane Georgia is right now. They have Zamir White and a couple of other running backs back there. They, they're going to get 20 carries a game. They're going to have 200, 300 yards rushing, four touchdowns, crazy enough, because their offensive line is so dominant. Their defense is so dominant. They're going to have the ball, the 50-yard line every single play, and they're going to get free rushes open. I mean, this is a dominant team. And, and you know, I, I am interested to see if they can continue to be dominant against Alabama in the SEC Championship. I want to see how that works out, because you're going to, you might have to rely a little bit more on Stetson Bennett. But he has not shown me anything – to make me believe that he can be a liability to this Georgia team. Georgia's is way too talented for that. And as long as he makes the right decisions and does not screw up considerably every single play, they should be absolutely fine. Yeah. And this is the funny part about Stenson Bennett also is just that his name is Stenson Bennett. That's just a fantastic name for a quarterback. Georgia's adopting the old Alabama strategy where they just had like randos playing quarterback between AJ McCarron. Uh, once he left, uh, do you remember Jake Coker? uh as a quarterback does that name ring a bell yeah. for you yeah I, I do remember it and i i would be mind if i said I remember him playing but i do remember that name yeah so jake coker won that first national championship of the playoff for alabama in 2015 um what was that so that was the year they played clemson in the championship and Kenyon drake had like that kick return touchdown uh he was the quarterback of that championship team. And fun fact, he is now an insurance salesman in Alabama now. How do you know that fact? <laughs> I looked it up fact. a little while ago. I, I found his Instagram and uh, yeah, he sells insurance in the Alabama area now after, <laughs> after leading Alabama to a national championship and getting a tryout with the New Orleans Saints. 
you know, you know, that is pretty cool though, to be like an insurance person that could say, Hey, you know what, before they had Tua and after they had agent McCarron, you know, they had me, Jake Coker, current insurance salesman at Alabama. (laughs) Well, you also forgot Jalen Hurts in there, right? Like Jalen Hurts was there for a couple of years. (laughs) That's true. That's true. My fault. I, I, you know, I almost forget Hurts is there just because I remember him. Was it his first year that he got replaced by Tua in the championship game or was it the second year? Uh, it was, I think his second. So let's go back the Jalen hurts 30 for 30 that I want to make when I, whenever I, uh, become a film producer in my imaginary <laughs> dreams, uh, the Jalen hurts 30 for 30 is fantastic. So freshman year, he loses the championship to Deshaun Watson, 2017 sophomore year. He gets replaced in the championship by Tua. 2018, he sits behind Tua and then comes in in the SEC championship against Georgia and leads the like 14 point comeback. And then 2019, Oklahoma. So that would be his second year. He played two full seasons as the starter before getting benched, then finished second in the Heisman and then replaced Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. (laughs) It's a hell of a hell of a run for Jalen Hurts over the last five years. And you know what? He has been consistent throughout the entire his entire career. No matter what team he's been on, no matter where he's been, he has been himself. That and we have not really seen Jalen Hurts out of character at all. He's doing what he's good at, and that's normally either you know scrambling out of the pocket, running the ball, or making pretty solid throws whenever it's necessary. I mean, he has a good enough arm to be able to make throws occasionally. And we've seen the exact same Jalen Hurts from his freshman year in Alabama all the way up until now, where he's at Philadelphia Eagle. He has not changed one bit. And you know what? I actually kind of like that with Jalen Hurts. I don't think he's going to be the future of the Philadelphia Eagles. If it was my choice, they'd probably end up taking a quarterback in this draft and then we're in the future some way. But for a backup quarterback, he can certainly be a high-end Marcus Mariota type backup quarterback for the foreseeable future. And I'm very okay with that. I think he can come in and win a couple of games for a team that might need it. Who knows? Maybe he can be that Nick Foles type who comes in and leads the team to a big playoff or something like that. I think he's good enough to do that. He is legitimately a, a very solid backup quarterback for the future. And he does, like I said, that's what he's good at. And that is, you know, that, that's just his certain traits that he has perfected over the years that he is just using to his advantage. And he continues to do it all the time. I have so much respect for Jalen Hurts. I remember watching that SEC championship game where he came back and played. I don't think I've ever been as big of a fan of a player than I was Jalen Hurts that game. That was just the coolest story ever. I was a big Jalen Hurts fan. I, I actually wasn't even a huge fan of them benching Jalen Hurts in the first place. But, uh, you know, I did it regardless. And, yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it worked. They did it regardless. And, of course, it worked out for them. And they ended up winning the championship, I believe, at, at, at that point later in the year. But, yeah, it, it's really cool. I, I, was a, I was a big Jalen Hurts fan, and I, I continue to be a supporter of him because I, I really like his game. Yeah, and there's no shame in it, Jalen Hurts. It's okay that you're not, you know, you don't have Drew Brees levels of accuracy. Like, that's okay. You're still a very good quarterback. You're going to have a solid NFL career. There's just shortcomings that everyone knew. It was surprising that Jalen Hurts was even drafted in the first place. It took that magical year at Oklahoma to even give him draft consideration. So there's no shame in that, Jalen Hurts. You've made a great career out of this. And yeah, I know the Eagles are probably going to move on from you at some point. If not this year, then whenever they find a a quarterback suitable for replacement. But still a fine career fine career for Jalen Hurts and it's going to make a hell of a documentary one day whenever someone decides to make the Jalen Hurts 30 for 30 because that is an insane story that he's been through it really is and I wouldn't even be mad if we see another year Jalen Hurts next year for the Eagles I wouldn't I wouldn't be mad at all I mean the Eagles are set to have 
what is probably going to be three top 15 picks in the NFL draft this year. They're going to have every single opportunity to take a quarterback. Before I look at their team and where their needs are at and who's on the board at that point, I could totally understand them taking everything else other than a quarterback in those first three picks of the draft. And it actually worked out for them. I, w- I would I would like to see another Jalen Hurts experiment again where he has a better offensive line, maybe some better weapons around him yet again, and give him a good offense and let him continue to be what he is. And, you know, they, they have Jalen Hurts has carried the Eagles to a couple wins this year. I think we can, we can probably both agree that Nick Sirianni has not been the best offensive head coach right now. Um, you know, offensively, the Eagles just look, you know, discombobulated. They, they don't know how to run the ball. It is very confusing what they do. But whenever Jalen Hurts has the ball in his hands and they're relying on him to make a play, for the most part, he can't do it. You know, this could, this could be a guy that could be a, a low-end future quarterback for the Eagles. I don't think he's ever going to win them anything important, but he, he's not going to be Dak Prescott or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. But he could be a guy that I could see leading a team to a pretty solid record for the future. So I would definitely like to see them yet again try to Jalen Hurts this year. See if they can maybe go like an eight, nine, nine, and eight season next year if they if they get a couple of good draft picks and and see how see how he does for the future. Because I, I legitimately think this guy can be a very very solid option for us for a team in the future if they so choose. This is the interesting part about going through quarterbacks in the draft, which is like instinct says if you don't love a quarterback because of how important the position is, don't take them. If you're not sold on what, like this quarterback is the one we want to attach our future to. And yet at the same time, I think of the dumbasses like the Carolina Panthers and Denver Broncos who passed on Justin Fields and Mac Jones in last year's draft and just put Sam Darnold and Teddy Bridgewater in there. And now you look around and you're like, okay, where are we going to find our quarterback? The Broncos are like, all right, let's go trade for Aaron Rodgers. That's our pipe dream for figuring out the quarterback position. And the Panthers are, you know, just totally stuck in purgatory at the quarterback position. And I'm just like, I know maybe you didn't like Justin Fields, but you probably should have done that over Sam Darnold because Sam Darnold was basically like trading for Jacoby Brissett. And so that's the buyer's beware situation where I'm like, you're not going to have a better chance than right now to draft the quarterback if you're the Eagles. But I understand if they're not sold on like any one particular one that they love. This is just the complex situation of how do you, how do you go for, how do you find a quarterback when you don't have a quarterback right now? If there's only like 15 to 16 really good ones in the NFL and you don't have one of those, how do you go about trying to find one of them? And let me be completely honest. There's a very good chance they're not, there might not be a player better than Justin Fields at quarterback this year in the draft. So is it really worth it? Maybe not because, you know, between Matt Corral, Carson Strong, Sam Howell, Malik Willis. There's not been one top dog that has really shown out to be better than anyone else, right? And I can see I can see a scenario where any of these guys go maybe top 10 because someone's really desperate for a quarterback and wants him. But I could also see any of those four guys go in the second round because they're like, I really don't need a quarterback. I don't think he's good enough to be a franchise quarterback. We're going to wait. So as for the top quarterbacks in this class, I personally don't think any, anyone should be taking him in anywhere at the top. I could see Washington, the Washington football team reaching for one because I think they're absolutely desperate for one right now. And that would make sense. But outside of that, I just made a mock draft actually just on my page today. Uh, my, my, I had uh, Matt Corral pick six overall to the Washington football team. After that, my next pick was not until the New Orleans Saints pick at 18, I believe, where I picked Malik Willis to go. I'm, I'm sorry, maybe the Steelers at 21, where Sam Howell went. So, I mean – I. There's been a there's a big big discrepancy in, in where quarterbacks could be going in this draft right now, and unless the Eagles are absolutely confident that one of those top guys could be at their 
can get one of their picks in the draft this year, and he's worth it for that pick. I don't think they should. I think Sam, I think just keeping Jalen Hurts and going with these talented players in the offensive line or as quarterback or, or cornerback, excuse me, or at edge rusher is much more worth it for for the for the Eagles team. This is interesting. I'm looking through this right now. So you have corral there at the top which is kind of the big thing you do have the dolphins taking another wide receiver which i'm just like you can't right how could how could this happen again for miami where they still need help at wide receiver which is unbelievable at this point in their franchise yeah. <laughs> let, let me explain this a little bit because that, that is a big question mark that i see but for one chris olave at that point is the best player available for me and i really really think Jalen Waddle is absolutely the future of that team, and I like I like him a lot. But Will Fuller has not panned out, obviously. He's not going to work out. He might leave next year. Devontae Parker has been hurting a lot. I think he's on his way out of Miami right now. And they really don't have another top guy on the, t- on the roster outside of, of Jalen Waddle to really rely on for the future. I think Chris Olave can be a very, very good X receiver for this team. To let Jalen Waddle fill into the Z where I think he absolutely belongs. And, and if, if Olave is the absolute ideal X receiver right now. What Miami Dolphins to work around. I liked offensive line there as well. I just didn't see the value in taking the guy there at seven. So I really thought Olave would be the best would be the best option there as of this very moment for the Miami Dolphins. But I will say they are stuck in a very odd position right now in the draft where I don't really like any of the value of any of the positions they're kind of going at. So that's why I chose the best player overall pick, and that's why I ended up choosing Chris Olave. Now, if, if the actual draft were to happen today, my bet would be the, the Dolphins probably trade down, get more assets, and probably take an offensive lineman in the draft. <laughs> a lot more sense for them. That's but, unbelievable. They had five first-round picks for Laramie Tunsil. How do they need more picks? How yeah. you had five yeah. first rounders? How do you need more picks? <laughs> I mean, it, it's ridiculous, but um, but if, if that's if that's the case, that's what I would do. But at the same time, I understand different different strategies and, and, and doing different things, and that's why I didn't do any <laughs> trades in this track. And just where I'm at right now, a lot of it made the most sense. It's <laughs> unbelievable. How has Miami botched this so bad? How have they messed up this rebuild so bad? This was supposed to be the end of the Dolphins curse. And they're just, they traded down. What they screwed up on. (laughs) Uh, What they screwed up on was, was trading back up after trading down for two first draw picks. They traded back up to get Jalen Waddle. I, I, though I like Jalen Waddle and I like his potential and everything like that. I think, it was a pretty bad move to give another first round pick to move back up in the drive. I think you could have stayed where you were at and had good enough value to be able to work out and, and keep those extra two first round picks for the future. Um, or I just wouldn't have made a trade at all and you would have been at three and you could have had Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase if you so choose. If that was the case, they wouldn't have any problems right now. Just where, where both those trades, I think, ended up resulting in making this team, you know, maybe maybe not as good as what I thought they could have been this year. Jalen Wall on the first is not bad by any means, but it could have been Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts, or it could have been Devontae Smith and two first instead. I think that would have worked out better for them overall. Yeah, I was going to say, would anyone trade two first-round picks for Jalen Waddle right now? Absolutely not. Nobody would trade two first-round picks for Jalen Waddle. They wouldn't even trade two first-round picks for Devontae Adams, I feel like. So the fact they gave up that much for Jalen Waddle is like pissing those picks away a little bit, which is you know, unfortunate for Miami. You said they didn't have a wide receiver help. Do you know who their leading receiver is this season so far? Oh, boy. That is a great question. Um, well, I, I know Jalen Waddle's on track to be over a thousand yards receiving, but I, I, I think I'd be lying if I said, I think he is the guy. 
Um, I do know Isaiah Ford and Matt Collins have been their next best guys. Albert Wilson has been pretty solid. Preston Williams is there. Ah, I said I'm leading say... receiver doesn't have to be wide receiver. It can be our oh, favorite is guy. It a Gusecki? It's a Gasecki. Is it a it oh is. my gosh, really? <laughs> a Gusecki is the leading receiver for the Miami Dolphins this season. I think it's like 550 yards. Yes, a Gusecki is leading the Dolphins in receiving yards. Well, that tells you all you need to know about the receiving core right now. It still needs work. No, it's bad. It's it's so bad. And they, they also have maybe the worst offensive line in the NFL, and two has been hurt all season. It's a absolutely i don't think anyone's had a worse season this year than the miami dolphins like in terms of where expectations were to where it is now because you can't point to any one thing that is going well of all the storylines coming into the year all of them are going bad for miami right now and we say this the coming off of their victory against the ravens where albert wilson turned into a what they thought jalen waddle was going to be but nothing has gone right for miami this year and you know where, you know, you know what I see a lot of people blaming, and we just say I do find this interesting. A lot of people are blaming Brian Flores. He was seen as being one of the best hires at the time to the Dolphins, and everyone thought it was going to work out really, really well. Of course, it became a huge buyers and, and free agency and the trade deadline, and all of a sudden they had a really, really good roster and a really good defense where it really worked out. But it really feels like after they drafted Tua Tagovailoa, everything just kind of fell apart, and nothing works the way it did. I. I, again, I was a big, big advocate last year of not playing Tua, letting him sit. And I even thought, you know, after that season, I was like, I did not see enough of Tua to make me think, hey, this guy could be a future franchise starter for this team. So even if it was my choice, I would start Ryan Fitzpatrick or someone on my team right now, possibly being a starter or a replacement for Tua Tagovailoa. As you are seeing right now, we're seeing even J- Jacoby Brissett start over him occasionally. Now, I know he's been hurt and everything like that, so maybe you can argue that's why, but at the same time, I don't see a necessary drop-off from Brissett to Tua. You know, it doesn't seem like they're any better or worse without without Tua there. So I really, really think after that Tua draft pick, I, I, I understood the idea. I was still a big Tua fan. I liked him as a pick. I just think he needed some development. Of course, he was hurt, and there were a lot of concerns there. It just it had the recipe to be a disaster if it was not handled correctly, and I really just don't think the, off- the Dolphins front office and coaching staff handled it correctly, and that's why I think a big reason why they're three and seven right now uh, as we're currently speaking, I think that they could have, they could have handled it a lot better and they just didn't. And that screwed them over. Yeah. Like technically the, the last time we talked, they were one and seven, but now they're three and seven. So it changes this math a little bit, but even still it's, it's been a total calamity for them. So, uh, we've, we've been off the air for 48 hours. So sometimes we, the Sunday podcasts are sometimes so, because a lot of stuff happens in the 48 hours that we're off. So we just like to put it out there just in case. So let's, since we didn't talk about this before, let's talk about Robert Woods. He's gone for the year. Odell Beckham is a Ram. We have talked about that. We haven't talked about it with you. So if you have Odell Beckham thoughts, feel free to drop them in here. But Robert Woods being gone for the year changes the math. Cause the thing that I said was adding Odell Beckham to the Rams doesn't mean Odell's going to have fewer targets. It means the Rams are going to dominate time of possession more by using lots of drag routes, slant routes, uh, screen passes, out routes. They're going to use the pass like the run, the way that the 49ers like ran the ball for three straight quarters in the NFC Championship and the way that the Rams would just go Todd Gurley, Todd Gurley, and then throw screen passes all the time. Like they were going to just use short field over and over with these skilled receivers with yards after the catch. And now that you take Robert Woods out of the mix, 
You can you can either just slide Odell into the Robert Woods role, or you can just proceed as planned, where you're just doing lots of short field yards after catch plays with both of your receivers. You don't have to change the game plan just because you've lost Robert Woods is basically where I see it right now. Yeah. So two things here real quick. When it comes to Odell Beckham Jr., the signing makes sense, especially considering they just released Deshaun Jackson. Uh, there was an obvious need entering the offseason that the, the, the Los Angeles Rams absolutely needed a deep threat. They absolutely needed to get a guy that could come in and be an important deep threat for the team. Everyone was under the impression that Deshaun Jackson was going to be that guy. And, of course, it didn't work out. Deshaun Jackson did not get targets. No one really – he didn't really want to be there. The, the Rams really didn't find a fit for him. It didn't work out, obviously. I think that's been kind of a pretty obvious problem, and that's why the, the Rams ended up moving on. So, of course, the Rams are going to be in the market again to find another deep threat to hopefully add to the roster to be able to help stretch the field to allow Cooper Cup and Robert Woods to do what they do best, and that's get yards after catch. But also, OBJ adds another layer to this team that they have not had yet, and that is a utility guy in the backfield who can take jet sweeps, who can do things behind the backfield, and it worked out for them. That's what the Browns did a lot with OBJ a couple of years ago, and it worked out really, really well for him. He had a lot of success having some, like, you know, end-around plays to him or jet sweeps and, and trick plays. OBJ can work in the backfield and do little gadget things that many other receivers can't. The Rams don't have that guy right now. They, Cooper Cup's the very good yards to catch guy. Robert Woods is a very good red up run out to catch guy. But OBJ is a very, very versatile receiver who can be a good beat threat. He can be a yards to catch guy, or he can be a gadget guy for you. And being that extra gadget or deep threat for your team can help boost this. So I thought OBJ had certainly had a, a, a very obvious role entering this season for the Los Angeles Rams. I was really, really excited to see how he could how he could be for this team. But now Robert Woods is injured. Not only does this become a a you know a, a pretty cool addition to this team, it's almost become a necessity at this point because now Cooper Cup is the only receiver on your team you can trust to be a consistent you know target for your team. So now OBJ not only has to be that gadget guy in deep threat, he also needs to be that safe second option to Cooper Cup. So where Cooper Cup does not have to be double teamed every single game. OBJ's success is going to be very very dependent, uh, or the Rams are going to be very very dependent on OBJ's success this season in order to be good. Van Jefferson's a solid wide receiver. He can be okay, but is he going to be a difference maker for this team? I doubt it. OBJ has to be the second guy. He's going to step up this year and, and, and play a lot better. He's going to get a lot more targets now with that Robert Woods, and he needs to be able to take advantage of that. I think he could be a very good deep threat for this team, but he needs to be more than that now that Robert Woods is gone. So I'm looking for OBJ to step up. I think this is the absolute perfect addition to replace Robert Woods, even though that was not the original thought process entering this signing. But now that it is, this is a good replacement for Robert Woods. This is a guy that can come in and replace Robert Woods, um, Robert Woods' production, I think, almost to a T. So I could see him coming in and having a couple of 100-yard games a couple times this season. I could certainly see that happening. So I actually think this is a very, very good signing. Uh, I thought it was before, but now, especially with Robert Woods gone, it makes a lot more sense now. Would you like to hear my bold take on this whole situation? Let me hear it. The Rams are not going to use Odell Beckham as a deep receiver ever. Not once. They're not going to use him as a deep ball threat because if they were planning to use a deep ball specific receiver, they would have still kept Deshaun Jackson. Their entire offense is going to be predicated on the short field. They're just, everyone's going to be yards after catch, yards after catch. And when they take the deep ball, you know who their deep ball receiver is going to be? Uh, Cooper Cup. Yep. Cooper Cup yep. is their deep ball receiver. And the reason why is because Cooper Cup does, I mean, again, this is no shade to Odell Beckham Jr. because he's ridiculously talented. 
Cooper Cup is the best all-around receiver they have on that team. And so Cooper Cup is going to be the guy who does everything they ask of him like a true star wide receiver in the NFL. Whether that means he's going to be yards after catch, whether he's going to be end around guy, whether he's going to be slot, whether he's going to go 50 yards down the field and make catches and just burning defenders deep. They're going to try and use Cooper Cup the way that the Packers use Devontae Adams, the Cardinals use DeAndre Hopkins, the Bills use Stephon Diggs until the last four weeks because their offense looks kind of broken. The way that Kansas City uses Tyreek Hill, I think that's the way the Rams are going to start to use Cooper Cup now, even with Odell Beckham being in there because Odell Beckham is not going to be a deep threat receiver. He's going to be the yards after catch guy that I think we associate Robert Woods and Cooper Cup as being. You know, if that's the case, I can definitely see that being, uh, you know, probable. And, you know, especially with Robert Woods out, it makes a lot more sense for OBJ to not be that guy because basically he would just step into the exact same Robert Woods role, basically do exactly what he did on the offense so they don't have to change anything up, right? But thinking about it from the point of view of, you know, Cooper Cup being that dominant guy now, you know, he's already shown that he can be a top five receiver this year. I think it's pretty obvious right now. He's in the top five uh, of receivers right now. I believe he leads the league currently in recept- reception yards. So, yeah, I think obviously- he's he's been the number one receiver this year, but I think it's just reputation is why we're not saying like, oh, Cooper Cup is one of the best right. three receivers in the NFL. It's like, right. well, we didn't think of him that as before. And this year's going really well, but it's only been like nine games. So, like, we need a larger sample size to deem that Cooper Cup is awesome. You are absolutely right, and that's exactly what I was going to say. Cooper Cup has not been exactly crowned yet a top five receiver because we just hadn't seen it consistently throughout the season yet. But if, if the Rams lose Robert Woods and like, hey, Cooper Cup, you're you're going to be a lot more production now than what you, or you're going to have a lot more production now than what you already have. We're going to ask you to do things you haven't already done, but we know you can do it because you're Cooper Cup. I mean, it works. If that works, talking about Cooper Cup, not only being a top five receiver, maybe a top three receiver. Talking about him and Devontae Adams. Uh, uh, of that side of things, which is absolutely insane to think about. It could be true nonetheless because everything we've seen from so far this year has looked great. So I don't see why it wouldn't work. I would love to see it. And, you know, I'm a big Cooper Cup fan. I liked him several years ago whenever he was super young uh, and during the league. He's worked out exactly the way everyone wanted him to be. I watched him play against the Bengals uh, and absolutely destroy us. I was like, oh, that's got, that guy's going to be absolutely legit. So nothing surprises me right now. He's always going to be the top dog of the Rams. And I want to see him continue to be as good as what he is. I have a, a quiz question for you right now. We won't do the full extended version of this game because we, we don't have as much time here today, but where do you think the Rams rank in terms of time of possession in the NFL this year? Ooh, that's a good question. This has been a pretty run-heavy team. Uh, not, not run-heavy, but they, they've written the ball a lot. So for a team that has been, um, you know, a, a pretty like, uh, you know, consistent on the pass. So I'm going to say, I, I think they're pretty high. I want to say seven. The Rams currently rank 18th in time of possession. I was surprised by this too. So is 18th, is that being that it's longer or shorter than usual? This, yes. So the Rams are below average in the NFL. Their opponents possess the ball on average more often than them. Now it's not as, it's not that much of a difference. It's only 21 seconds of difference. Um, (laughs) They, they are 29 and 32 or 29, 39, which means their opponents are possessing the ball 30 minutes and 21 seconds. 
but opponents are holding the ball for 42 more seconds than the Los Angeles Rams on average this year. And, you know, obviously that's not worked that well for those teams at all, but, you know, maybe, maybe you got to think that's probably because they're, they're trying to, other teams are maybe trying to play the screen game because they know they can't go deep against Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. So maybe that plays into a, a, a maybe a potential factor there. I'm not too sure. Well, also, this is the part that makes it more like jarring in a way. So of the teams that are getting out, um, teams that their opponents are possessing the ball for less time than they are, there are only four teams that are above 500 who are being outpossessed this year. And the teams other than the Rams are Vegas, your Cincinnati Bengals, and the Chargers. Everyone else is Which are- below 500 which are teams that have been predominantly relying on a deep threat, uh, the deep pass the last couple of, of games. So uh, Bengals, Char- Raiders, and Chargers are all. So that's interesting. Um, maybe that's just a sign that Cooper Cup has been so dominant after the catch. He's just getting these long, big gains, which we've seen a lot from him so far this season. So maybe, though, though they're not the deep threat team that we you know, we, we thought they were trying to become in a, in a way this year, uh, they are still finding ways to get these big gains because of Cooper Cup's success and everything like that. Maybe that's the case, but um, at the same time, you know, the Rams at this point are just so good at what they do. Maybe they don't need to hold on to the ball a lot to be able to be a dominant team because they, they could trust their defense to get stops whenever needed. They could trust their offensive the score whenever needed. They don't care about how long they can possess, possess the ball. As long as they pick up a first down or get a touchdown, they don't care. And you know what? I respect that because they're winning football games this way, so I don't blame them. I find it really interesting now connecting the dots because this feels like the anti Sean McVay team, right? Like the team that overwhelmingly throws the ball and doesn't care about time of possession and really is trying to play to that strength, which is interesting because think about the roster turnover they've had over the past year or so. Like they, they got a totally new quarterback. Their running backs are Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle, who both weren't on the team two years ago. And you have, now Odell Beckham and of course Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, etc. Cooper Cup has had a torn ACL in the past. Um, it's been interesting because this is the team that Sean McVay built, and it's a team that's anti what we expect of Sean McVay, which is fascinating. It is super interesting, and I, I will say I think that that just shows how good a coach McVay is to be able to switch up on his. Um, on, on his ways, I guess, because a lot of a lot of head coaches always stick with what they know and and what their schemes want to be. But McVay has been very versatile and switching up and doing different things to make his team successful. And he has completely taken his old schemes of what he wanted to be a dominant time position guy who ran the ball a lot and was dominant on the ground. We saw that with like, Todd Gurley and guys like that. To now, or even last year, that, by the way, because I just looked up the numbers, the Rams were fifth in the league in time of possession last year. So this is even like. 12 months ago, the Rams were doing this. Right. And, and he's completely changed his ways and has now become a, a dominant pass team because you know why? They have Matt Stafford. So now they finally have a guy they can absolutely trust to get the hit on a receiver whenever they want. Jared Goff beforehand wasn't terrible, but wasn't good. You know, McVay obviously didn't trust him. So McVay never really had a chance to even try to pass, even though if he wanted to, because he knew that if I'm going to win this football game, I'm going to win it on the ground. Right. And that's what they did. And it worked. But now that he has Matt Stafford, he knows that, hey, I can try to open up this playbook a little bit more, do some different things, and try to just pass a little bit more. And now that it has absolutely worked, now all of a sudden there's a new layer to the Los Angeles Rams that have become a big problem now. Because beforehand, 
the Rams were, you know, a pretty mediocre team last couple of years. Of course, they made the Super Bowl back in 2018. But after that, they hadn't been anything too special. But now that they have Matthew Stafford and have added a passing game, this is a brand new team. I think I think right now they're probably the Super Bowl favorites at this very moment. It's still a legitimate team. I think a lot of uh, the entire NFL has to fear because they are capable of anything at this point. And remember, they went to the Super Bowl in 2018 or 2000, yeah, 2018. That was the year yep. that Cooper Cup tore his ACL. So they were able to make it to the Super Bowl even without now a wide receiver. Cup. Look how this all wow. comes full circle. Look at how we bring this all full circle from Robert Woods tearing his ACL to OBJ in a conversation about the Rams. We bring it all back full circle. Look at us. <laughs> that, that's just, that just shows how good of a host you are. Yes, yes. Not to pat myself on the back a bit, but I'm good at navigating traffic. All right. You want to make the picks for the week before we uh, say sayonara and you can get back to work? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, so to update the standings, you, sir, are 23-21-1, and one, and this puts you a half game back of first place currently right now. So best of luck to you coming up this week. We yep. begin... uh, what, what did you do last week? It was like two and three. Uh, I believe two and three. Yeah, I think you're two and three. I can yeah, let's we can go back good, and see what you bad. had, but I I think you were three games above five hundred, and now you're two games above five hundred. So I think two well, and three. So so one thing that killed me was I predicted the Vikings to cover against the Ravens. Right, they went to overtime, and the Ravens still managed to cover and and win with a touchdown at the end of the game. So that was a bad beat for me because I. I was absolutely right in saying the Vikings will keep it close, but it just wasn't. It was it was too close, <laughs> too close to the point where the Ravens were able to score a touchdown in overtime to win. So that that sucked, but oh well. <laughs> That's right. I'd forgotten about that. So yeah, you nailed on the Dolphins. Oh, you and I both took a bad beat on the Chiefs. You and I both took yep. the bad beat on them. Uh, and then you also had. Oh, you went one and four last week. Whoops. No, you went okay. one and four. <laughs> bad week. Yeah, the, the the Vikings one was a bad beat. The Chiefs was a bad beat, but you and I both took the L on that one. Uh, you had the Raiders who lost to the Giants, and then you got burned by the Buffalo Bills and the Jaguars right. game. <laughs> yep, yep, you're right. That, that sucks. Wow. That, that, that By the way, that Bills-Jaguars game, ugliest football game I've ever seen in my life. What the <laughs> heck happened? What was that game? We can just ignore it altogether. We learned nothing yeah. from that game. Uh, Take we that just... game and throw it in the trash. It exists. I mean, there is underlying concerns that the Bills offense is a little bit broken. But other than that, like you can throw out pretty much everything else from that game. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I just want to forget that I ever existed, honestly. Well, then I will uh, make you not have to remember this because we have the Jaguars traveling to the Colts this week. Colts are 10 and a, are 10 point favorites at home. Of course, you can always pick a Falcons or Lions game if you so choose. <laughs> I'm not going to do that to myself, but I think this Jaguars team, especially the defense, has definitely taken a step up these last couple of weeks. And though I like the Colts team and think that they can win this game, I want to see the Jaguars keep this game pretty close and respectable. So I'm going to take the Jaguars to cover. I think the Colts still win, but I, I think this Jaguars team is finally starting to build something where they can start to contend with these other teams and do pretty well. Uh, so I think this game could be like a seven point game, maybe even a three or four point game. But I do think they cover uh, this game somehow. Is that like a lack of trust in the Colts too, or just you're feeling good about Both. the Jaguars turning a corner? The, the Colts are hot, but we cannot forget this team. This team started one and five entering the season, right? Like this is still a team that we don't know a lot about, and they're still very inconsistent. Um, and, and I think honestly, 
you know, the offensive line has been banged up a little bit. Josh Allen looked really, really good last week against the other. Josh Allen had a really good game. I, I think they can put some pressure on on Carson Wentz and this team. And Carson Wentz in general just hasn't really impressed me a, a bunch this year. He's made a couple of pretty solid throws. I really like Michael Pittman and T.Y. Hilton's resurgence has been pretty nice. But I haven't seen anything from that offense to suggest that they can be an absolute difference maker in this game. Now, I will say, I definitely think the running game with Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor is certainly going to be something that they're going to have to look up on from than, um, the Jaguars. But I, I definitely think that the Jaguars are still going to be able to keep this respectable. I really, really like what Trevor Lawrence is starting to do now. I think he's starting to finally keep things in the next year. And I hope that if he can stay healthy, at least, because I know he's banged up last week, uh, if he can stay healthy, he can pr- give this team a pretty good game. Vikings at the Chargers. The Chargers are three-point favorites at home. These teams are virtually the same in my eyes. Like, both Ooh, of them are really? kind of just – Okay, so people want to say Chargers are better, right? And, and I think it's probably a, a fair conversation you could have. I mean, I really Vegas, Vegas says they're three-point favorites at home, so I guess they are basically the same team. Yeah. I, I haven't seen anything from the Chargers to suggest that they are better than the Vikings right now. But for the Chargers, this is a huge game. This is a, a big-time must-win game because the AFC West – Looks really good right now. The Raiders and Broncos are both up there, the contenders. And if you're looking at the wild card, the Bengals, the entire ABC, ABC North, the Cleveland Browns, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Cincinnati Bengals are all looking for wild card spots right now. If you're the Chargers, this is a big time game that you really, really want to win. Uh, and, and the Vikings are a team that is also looking for a pretty big win. Now, I think they can still make the playoffs if they lose this game, which is, I think is a little bit different from the Chargers. But um, I definitely think that if they win this game, they're, they're in great position to be a, a potential wildcard team as well. So this is a very big key game here in Week 10 that, that can have a lot of playoff implications, of course. But let me just say it's at home. I really think what I saw from the Chargers last week, uh, you know, made me – I think it's pretty promising. Uh, and, and I think they can build off that. And I want to say that they win this game again this week and, and are able to cover and, uh, and, and beat the, uh, the Vikings. But I think this could be a very, very close game. If, they were to be a, if it were to be a three-point game, it would not surprise me one bit. Yeah, I apologize for making you have to pick that game again with the Vikings, considering your torment with them last week. But, again, the Falcons are you know, at also- Dallas. <laughs> I also have uh, a lot of uh, of uh, Vikings players on my fantasy team. So part of me wants to be greedy and be like, hey, the Vikings are the cover because I have them on fantasy. But I'm going to be I'm going to stick to my guns and, and be real and say the Chargers cover. Way to hedge your bet, because if you're wrong in this, that means your fantasy team does well. But if you're right here, that means your fantasy team does bad. Look at you. Way to, way yeah, to emotionally hedge. It's, it's a 50-50 either way. You know, not a, not a total loss, not a total win, you know. I'll yeah, of course. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. I like that. Uh, what's next? Eagles at the Broncos. I know you said the AFC West is legit, but we can. I, I refuse to believe in the Broncos. I know they. I know Teddy Bridgewater scored thirty last week, but uh, the Broncos can't be for real. It's not allowed. Um, the Eagles are at the Broncos. Broncos are two and a half point favorites. I'll take the Broncos to cover here. Um, the Eagles don't have, you know, Miles Sanders still. We haven't seen a lot from Kenneth Gainwell. It's just he's any good. This running back committee is just really weird in Philadelphia right now. Like, I really don't know who's the top dog. You got Boston Scott. You got Jordan Howard. Like I said, Kenneth Gainwell's there. It's all kind of a mess right now. And I, I talked about it earlier, and I'll say it again. This offensive play calling of Nick Sirianni and this, and this Eagles offensive staff is just pitiful, and I hate it. Um, <laughs> the Broncos defense has looked pretty good this year. And of course they held the, the, 
Cowboys to almost zero points, I believe, last week. They look to be really promising, and I think they can be uh, – they're good enough to be able to stop the Eagles here this week. Now, I, I will say this game is going to be low scoring, I think, because I don't think the Broncos put up a lot of points in this game, but I do think the Broncos do cover and win this game uh, here this upcoming week. Seahawks at Packers, Russell Wilson versus Aaron Rodgers, and the Packers are three-and-a-half-point favorites at Lambeau. As much as I want to say Russell Wilson comes back and has a big game uh, this year uh, or this this week after coming back from the, the injury, uh, I, I just don't see it happening. I think for a guy that's coming off a finger injury, he's going to have some growing pains coming back. Now, Aaron Rodgers also missed last week, but it was from COVID, which is, I think is a little bit different here. And I think that Rodgers is going to be able to – uh, you know, be, be better off the jump than Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's going to need to have some adjustments, even though credit to him, he's been practicing a lot despite the injury. Um, I, I just think Aaron Rodgers is going to be more ready for this game. Uh, and, and though I think the, the Seahawks are a good team, I think the Packers are, are a little bit better. So I think the Packers covering and winning here, Al. All righty. Next up, we have, uh, let's say, Rams and 49ers on Monday. Rams Ooh. are four-point favorites at San Francisco. I like this game. This is going to be a fun game that I'm definitely going to watch on Monday. I think both these teams are, are really, really fun to watch in general. Uh, and I'm going to take the Rams to win and cover here, even though it's at San Francisco. I think San Francisco can give them a pretty solid game. But I just think with this new regime of the, of the Rams coming in, now, with the, now, now that we have Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, mentioned up with Von Miller, you mentioned those, those three guys being on the same team a couple of years ago. Imagine how stacked that would be, how terrifying it would be to have those three guys on the same team. Um, you know, it, it's a very, very good defense. I think their offense is going to be able to put up enough points to win. The biggest weakness right now, right now for San Francisco is obviously their secondary. And, you know, Cooper Cup's going to be – is currently the best receiver right now in the league statistically. So uh, he's going to feast and have a great game here with Matthew Stafford. It's going to be really tough for San Francisco to be able to stop uh, this Rams offense. And the defense is really too talented right now. So I'll take the Rams to win and cover. Yeah, I think Vegas is going the opposite. The house is in favor of the 49ers. And I'm tempted to wow. – to roll along with the house on this one. It's interesting. So enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the rest of your football weekend. Uh, does Kentucky play today? Yes. No. Yeah. They're currently playing against Vanderbilt and I actually haven't even took a look at the game so far. Yeah. I'll tell you the score. Um, it is currently dot, dot, dot. 28 to three. Uh, I saw seven yeah. to nothing. Oh, yep. refresh right. it real cool. quick. <laughs> But refresh yep, it. Refresh your screen real quick. <laughs> yep. Yep, well, David. <laughs> yep. And uh, you do not have to pay attention to that game at all the rest of the way. Congratulations on defeating Vanderbilt, which is oh, that game only exists to be made fun of. You, the, you, you just you can't lose the Vanderbilt game. That game only exists for you to end up getting made fun of like Florida. It's like Florida just can't lose to South Carolina. Other than that, it's you're fine. Just don't have the game that makes everyone laugh at you. Oh, my God. Kansas is up 14 against Texas. Oh, my God. See, here we go. Just what did I say? There's Kansas no is up 14-0 at Texas at the end of the first quarter. <laughs> at halftime. No, it's half. No, no, no. Sorry. sorry. No, no, it's not. It's oh, right. oh my God. See, this is the thing There's I'm no saying. Because As soon as I said that, I'm like, I wonder what's happening to Kansas this week. And lo and behold, they're beating <laughs> Texas. Also, last thoughts before we leave. Um, Sanford is best offense in the national in the in the uh, in, in the football and in football this year. I mean, say, putting up forty two points in a half against Florida. 
not what only that happened? not only that florida fired their defensive coordinator after last week's loss to south carolina so i don't think the interim is going to get to keep the job just just playing it safe on that one it's not yeah. like they're like fire the defensive coordinator they already did that they did it last week they've already fired the defensive coordinator <laughs> it's a tough it's a tough road for florida this is they're they're struggling to even make a bowl game this year, which is shocking. Ah, they'll probably get it though, right? Like they've got Florida State still on the schedule. They probably that should be okay, right? Right? I think like they did today. They lose to Florida State. Just saying. Florida State beat Miami. You've got to be shitting me. Florida State beat <laughs> Miami today. <laughs> Speaking of Florida State, yeah. So, the ACC I mean, is awesome. back, baby. ACC Coastal will reign forever strong. Oh, my God. You've got to be kidding me. The ACC Coastal is the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, we're no. Gonna, we're going we're gonna to have Florida State versus Florida, and the winner's going to make a bowl game. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's just stupid. <laughs> That's going to be fun. Oh, no, this is so good. Miami was the team at the top of the ACC Coastal. They they controlled their own destiny to the ACC championship, and then they lose to Florida State. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. That, is, that is crazy. College football just exists to be a meme. Iowa State lost and, to Texas Tech after Texas Tech fired their coach, too. Yep. I mean, hey, it's perfect for, it's perfect for us because we can make fun of all these teams, and that is fun. I enjoy that. You know what makes it even more perfect to what you just said is that Florida and Florida State are going to be playing to make a bowl game while Texas Tech fired their coach and just qualified for a bowl game. <laughs> this is all you need to know about Florida football this year. It's just been terrible. And Miami just took the L too. Oh, this is actually yeah. a fun thing we did a while ago. Um, if you take out the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, currently the state of Florida has... I believe a combined record again, this is a little while ago. So my, like Miami won and it made up for it a little bit, but back when like Florida was zero and four, the state of Florida, if you took out the bucks had like a combined record of like nine and 36 or something like that. Wow. Cause FIU's like one and eight this year, Florida Atlantic's like two and seven. Uh, yep. UCF is 500 with Gus Malzahn. So like you could go all the South way down Florida's the state of terrible. Florida. is just rough, huh? Yeah. South Florida is two and eight right now, I believe too. Like they're yep. all bad. South Florida is terrible. The bucks are, I mean, sorry, the Jaguars are terrible. The dolphins are terrible. Uh, Florida is terrible. Florida state is terrible. Miami I mean, ran off a nice win to, streak in there. I, I hate to be a, a Florida fan. Thank God I'm a Cincinnati fan, right? Yeah, Thumbs of course. Up. <laughs> it's a great time to be a Cincinnati fan. It's like uh, really. it's like California and basketball, where San Diego State is the best basketball program in the state, except and they're also the best football program in the state because USC is terrible. We beat Cal head to head. We beat uh, Stanford head to head a couple of years ago. Uh, San Jose State, whatever. Uh, UCLA was terrible. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's a rough time. California and Florida, it's a rough place to be for sports. <laughs> what what a what a weird year of college football. It's just been weird all around. Damn it! As soon as we talked about it, Texas scored a touchdown. So it was it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> We're gonna jinx it. <laughs> no, Kansas had no chance. Even when I saw fourteen nothing, I'm like <laughs> they're gonna lose by twenty eight. But it's just funny that it's fourteen zero because. 
Yeah. Um, the, the funny joke, because uh, I do a podcast with someone who's a Longhorns fan, and the, one of the funny jokes that, that they say there is if you lose to Iowa State, you can't keep your job at Texas. And I'm willing to give Sark like a full year break because he's playing with like some of Tom Herman's players now, because obviously the transfer portal means people can leave. But if you, if you lose to Kansas, I, I could make the argument for wanting to fire Sark. <laughs> if you want to do it on the spot, like if you lose to Kansas, I could, I could make the argument for it at that point, but I'm willing to give him totally all understandable. the <laughs> No, That's I'm totally understandable to at that point. Yeah. I'm like, I like losing to Baylor. No shame losing to Oklahoma. It only sucks. Cause you were up 14 in the game, losing to Iowa state. No shame in that this year. It's okay. Uh, they lost to someone else. I forgot who it was now. Oh, Arkansas lose to Arkansas. No shame in that this year. You know, you said Tom Herman wasn't good enough. Well, they're playing with like 60% of Tom Herman's players right now. So no shame in that you can, you can go seven and five this year and have it be totally fine if you're Texas, but you can't lose to Kansas. <laughs> without a doubt, without a doubt, you can't. It just, it's just not. It, it's not. It, it's you can't. You absolutely cannot. You, he's gonna get fired if they lose. It just has to happen. But don't worry. Now that we said that, it's gonna be forty-two <laughs> fourteen. <laughs> or yeah, no, no. It, it, there's no chance. There's no chance Kansas is gonna win the game. But it's still fun to believe, right? Right. right? You know what's gonna be funny if t- if tomorrow Kansas wins. Oh, well, that that's going to be our entire Monday podcast. Like screw the NFL, screw, screw the NFL, screw Aaron Rodgers versus Russell Wilson. Entire podcast is just going to be Texas lost to Kansas. It's going to be our entire podcast on Monday. (laughs) I need it. I need it to happen. Please. It's not going to, but one can dream. One can dream, right? I don't think the football gods exist anymore because all I asked them was, please let Purdue beat Ohio State, and Ohio State dropped 59 on them. So I don't don't think we're going to get our wish on this one. Maybe maybe they'll show a forgiveness, uh, you know, a wish for us and have Kansas win. That would be be amazing. Maybe, maybe. I want to believe, right? Kansas has had a couple of these this year. They They were winning in the fourth quarter against Oklahoma. Um, again, a team that did not cover the spread against the University of South Dakota, who, by the way, completed that Hail Mary that's going around viral on the internet right now. Uh, yeah. Again, beat South Dakota by three points and stormed the field earlier this season. And that is still Kansas's only win of the entire season. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That, it, they're bad. <laughs> But I think they technically have two wins. They have three wins now. They have a win for winning three, being up in the fourth quarter against Oklahoma and being up 14-0 at the end of the first against Texas. I think that should count as three wins for Kansas's program. Absolutely. Three big wins for their program. That's all you can (laughs) ask for if you're a Kansas fan. You got basketball at least. Hey, that, that, that works. So Kansas beat Texas. 57 to 56 to break a 56 game road conference losing streak. The entire memes of the weekend podcast Monday, this game, the entire freaking podcast.